Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and it's National Nutrition Month. Today, we're talking about nutrition and fertility with Dr. Ashley Eskew. Dr. Eskew is double board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive endocrinology and infertility, and is in practice at Atrium Health and also co-founder of Avu Life MD. Dr. Eskew, welcome to ASRM Today. Thank you so much for having me, Jeffrey. I'm excited to be here. Um, so I do this with most of my, almost all of my first time guests. I just want to ask, and I'm sure our audience is curious, uh, how did you find yourself in this field? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I always love hearing what others have to say about that too. So I actually um, happened upon it because I was trying to match into an acting internship my fourth year in GYN oncology, actually, and they had no space. So they gave me one in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. So I got to do my AI in that as a fourth year medical student and just had so much fun with it and became enthralled with the field and really, really just grew to love it. And um, there was really no looking back after that. So ultimately ended up doing um, residency where I am now um, at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina, and did fellowship at Washington University in St. Louis. And I'm excited to be um, back in practice here. So you contribute to nutrition in fertility, and we don't often have a lot of opportunities to discuss that in fertility medicine. Can you enlighten our audience into how has discussing nutrition sort of evolved in fertility medicine as, as you've been working in it? And, and maybe if you know some more historical context, you can you can give to it. Definitely, definitely. You know, as I was kind of looking through a lot of the recent research that's been done and kind of what I've accumulated over over the years, just the amount of information um, and studies that have come out on this in the past decade, as opposed to the decade before that is is drastic. Um, You know, I think there's a lot more conversation around this. And um, in, you know, other areas of medicine, I think it's been increasingly recognized over time that the diet has a huge impact on chronic disease states. Um, And oftentimes we think about just like, cardiovascular disease or diabetes or something like that. But, you know, increasing um, evidence has shown it's also associated with fertility and reproductive outcomes as well. And so it's been, it's been really great to be able to see that change over, over the past, you know, 10 to 20 years. And I think a lot of the original data looking at um, dietary factors that impact fertility and reproductive outcomes was from the nurse's health study. Um, And looking at how those things relate to, you know, things like ovulatory infertility, and then a lot more of the studies that have come out more recently have focused on different populations, different infertility diagnoses as well. Um, I think one of the limitations is that it's, you know, by nature, a lot of observational data and that there aren't very, you know, a ton of large, robust, randomized controlled tiles looking at dietary um, patterns and as they impact reproductive outcomes, which is something that I think the future holds. But um, you know, it's, it's been really great to see just an increasing amount of research done over this in the past 10 years too. How does it tie into a lot of studies about obesity and reproduction? It's actually funny. We're, we're recording this on uh, February the 10th and today, today's episode of ASRM today that came out was a discussion I had with Dr. Christina Boots about obesity and, and reproduction in a recent committee opinion that had come out. Uh, what, what are some correlations there? Or are there any correlations that you have come across? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, a lot of the studies looking at dietary patterns will ultimately control for BMI. We know that certain dietary patterns are associated with um, higher body weight um, and, you know, increased BMI, you know, traditional Western diet, that's a lot of highly processed food, fast foods, that sort of thing um, tends to have a higher association with that. Um, and we know that BMI is really important for reproductive outcomes as well, as I'm sure Dr. Boots got to discuss with you too. And so a lot of the studies in looking at dietary patterns don't necessarily focus on weight loss or differences in BMIs, for example, but um, that is an important element to consider. What are a few good practices that can be suggested for specialists looking to help patients with nutritional questions? Do you feel that it's more or less a referral process normally, or are people becoming more educated where they can sort of have those conversations without having to necessarily do referrals? Absolutely. You know, I think that there's a role for referrals to, to registered dietitians, nutritionists, or to, you know, weight loss coaches or physicians and that sort of thing. But in general, whenever I'm speaking with couples about um, dietary recommendations just to help optimize reproductive outcomes, I focus on it on the fact that it feels like, you know, there's so much in this journey that's outside of any one person's control, right? And dietary lifestyle factors are something that they can control. And although, you know, everybody wants a quick fix or, or maybe it's keto or maybe maybe it's low carb, or maybe it's low fat, or this, that, and the other. If you look across all the data that's been, you know, accumulated, there are some general patterns that emerge, like I, like I mentioned, and really focusing on eating a high quality diet that's rich in whole foods, like fruits and vegetables, um, whole grains, uh, lower glycemic load type carbohydrates. So ones that won't spike your glucose level and insulin as much, you know, in terms of the quality of fats that you're eating, focusing on anti-inflammatory type fats, like omega-3 fats that are found in, in seafood, like fatty fish, like salmon, and that sort of thing. Instead of eating a ton of conventional animal meat, maybe incorporating more plant-based proteins as well. Um, and soy has actually been shown to be not harmful when it comes to fertility, which is a source of debate amongst, um, you know, some, some studies and, and, you know, a lot of providers too. And then, you know, not only just carbohydrates, protein, the types of fats, but also what are they drinking, right? So focusing on drinking water as your primary beverage, avoiding sugar sweetened beverages, you know, limiting alcohol intake, all of these things add up over time. And also on top of that, really, it's not just about necessarily the, the types of food that we eat, but then also looking at the environmental contaminants that are found within them. So data from the earth study, you know, really kind of was, was one of the first to incorporate some of the elements of environmental factors that also are a part of our food system. And so they found that, you know, couples who ate increased levels of high pesticide residue produce um, had lower success rates after undergoing IVF with embryo transfer. And so, you know, I tell them, you know, if you can buy organic, then do that. That, wash your fruits and vegetables really well. Or, you know, if you can't focus on getting those lower pesticide residue, you know, burden type produce too. And so it's, you know, and in terms of the quality of meat, um, that's another thing that comes up in conversation a lot. And they're like, well, what if I get grass fed, organic meat and that sort of thing? And that, that certainly has lower um, of a, you know, environmental toxin burden than, than a lot of the conventional animal meat does. And the reality is that a lot of studies haven't looked at that. So that's, that's part of something that we're missing. But I think those are some general kind of take-home points that you kind of see across the board there um, that are easy to kind of just give patients. And, you know, I make that in a simple handout format so they have something to go home with and kind of focus on and, and can kind of tick off some boxes as they go. 
So yeah, and the other important findings from the Earth study, which I didn't I didn't really mention, you know, that was a prospective study of um, just over 350 women undergoing IVF, and their primary outcomes were looking at implantation rate, clinical pregnancy rate, live birth rate, miscarriage rate after IVF with embryo transfer, and they looked at a lot of other ART outcomes. But with the pro-fertility diet specifically, you know, the dietary patterns that we were just talking about, they also noted people who had higher adherence to a pro-fertility diet had higher intake of supplemental folic acid, vitamin D, and B12. And I think that's an important thing to mention because we kind of touched on the dietary patterns as well as the role that environmental toxins might play in that. And then also supplements, right? So it's probably more than just one single element that was associated with um, a significantly higher implantation rate and live birth rate in these women undergoing embryo transfer. But one of the things that I tell my patients is that there's no amount of supplements that can make up for poor dietary choices, right? So I think that all of these things really do complement each other. And also that study looked at different dietary patterns. So beyond just the pro-fertility diet, they looked at the Mediterranean diet, which I think is commonly thought of as the best diet for fertility. And, and rightfully so in a lot of ways, you know, multiple studies have shown beneficial effects from a Mediterranean diet, which is also characterized by prioritizing whole foods, leafy greens, fruits and vegetables, seafood sources of proteins, all the things that we talked about. But I think it's important to think about regional differences and dietary patterns there because, you know, data published a couple of years ago, it was published in FNS of a study out of, of women out of Italy, actually, and looking at their adherence to a Mediterranean diet didn't see as significant of a benefit with increasing adherence. But that's also similar to what was shown in the earth study is that women who had higher adherence above the second quartile really didn't see much more benefit. There was still a significantly higher live birth rate for them. But if you look at a cohort of women in Italy versus the U S their baseline adherence to a Mediterranean type diet is probably already higher. So, so they might have less to gain by increasing adherence. So I think that that's just important to be mindful of, you know, regionally where you practice and what your patients tend to gravitate towards in terms of their dietary choices. And that should play into your specific counseling to them as well. And so I think that those are important elements to remember. And then you had asked about the impact of BMI on, on fertility and reproductive outcomes. And I know that you're speaking with, with Dr. Boots, as you mentioned. And um, one of the things that I didn't mention when we were talking about where I did training and that sort of thing was that I chose Washington University because their interest in, in that specific area. You know, Dr. Moley's lab had the, um, you know, obese mouse model. And then Dr. Emily Youngheim had a study that was uh, going on while I was there called the Lifestyle and Ovarian Reserve Study. And I was fortunate enough to get to participate in that as well, and also work with Dr. Jorge Chavarro on that. And we looked at increasing adherence to a pro-fertility diet compared to other dietary patterns in a Midwestern cohort of women. So we had a couple different ones than they did in the EARTH study. But interestingly, what we found, and actually our paper just got accepted for publication recently, so you'll be able to look out for that, but was that women with overweight or obesity, so specifically women with a higher BMI above 25 who had a higher adherence to a pro-fertility diet noted a linear, significantly linear association with a higher AMH or anti-malarian hormone level, as well as antral follicle count. So 
Whereas traditionally, we think increasing BMI is inversely related to markers of ovarian reserve, specifically AMH, usually goes slower as BMI increases. Our study showed that even if BMI was higher, if you had a higher adherence to this type of dietary pattern, you had a higher AMH as well. And while this needs to be replicated in, in other studies, it's still pretty interesting. And you could think about it almost from you know, hey, could we take this to the point where it could be a preventative effect for women, um, catch them earlier in their reproductive journey and, and being able to counsel them on these dietary patterns that often do result in weight loss, but, but pretty fascinating that also we found some association with markers of ovarian reserve. Have you, have you found uh, either personally when you're working professionally or, or maybe in, in talking with peers, I, I'm, very, I'm, I'm very intrigued by the emergence of the plant-based movement. I was in the grocery store just the other day and I've been plant-based for, for about a decade now <laughs> since nice. I met my wife. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and no one says vegan anymore because that's just, it's, <laughs> it, if branding has taught us anything, they, they learned real quick, don't use the word vegan, <laughs> plant-based. Um, but, but I was telling my, uh, my father about it. He was asking me about Beyond Burgers, you know, and I said, I said, well, you know, they actually have an outrageous amount of fat. Like they're not, just because they were plant-based doesn't mean that they're good for you. Like, you know, you still have to read the right. labels. And right. I mean, Oreos are vegan, right? So right. Yeah. Oreos are vegan. that's absolutely yeah. correct. So yeah. it's uh, Triscuits, you know, things, mm -hmm. things of that nature, this things you, you feel sneaking up on you. Have you found that a lot of prospective patients tend to worry maybe too much about, you know, they start freaking out about nutrition, you know, do, do Yes. Yes. I have seen that. And that's where I tell them, you know, take it, you know, even just today, I told this, you know, I was talking to this patient about, it. I was like, now don't go home and like, you know, purge your whole kitchen. Right. It's like one choice at a time. And it's a cumulative effect that, that will add up over time. And then by making, you know, maybe you choose to do meatless Monday, you know, this week, and then maybe next week you're looking at, you know, eating more quinoa as opposed to white rice or doing a veggie noodle as opposed to spaghetti noodle, you know, traditional pasta and that sort of thing. And I think kind of making it, you know, so it's like bite-sized pieces that they can take it step by step by step makes it actionable for them and not completely overwhelming where they're like, well, why would I even bother? Why, why bother trying it all? I'm speaking today with Dr. Ashley Eskew. We are talking about nutrition and fertility. Dr. Eskew, before I run out of time, I've, I've got one more question for you. You are the chair of the ASRM Nutritional Special Interest Group. I am. Um, yeah. Can you bring us up to date on some of the goings on with, with this particular group or what we should be looking forward to from the group in 2022? Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. I actually just found out this week that our proposal for the, um, you know, Pring Congress course um, got accepted for 2022 in Anaheim. Congratulations. So we'll, Absolutely. Yeah, thank, you. Yeah. thank you. So we'll be having um, a half-day symposium on um, the an evidence-based an evidence-based approach to um, integrative fertility um, treatments. And so um, we have Ali Domar there, um, who will be a wonderful, wonderful speaker, and then also Audrey Gaskins. Um, so they'll be a part of that group. And then um, we're actually working on more resources to be able to provide on the ASRM website for physicians to be able to give their patients. Because I found, you know, as a practicing clinician, that's one of the most challenging things is not only having the time to talk about with patients when you have these other complex consultations going on, but also to have the evidence-based resources to point them to. Because, you know, 
We know there's a lot of misinformation out there on the internet and our patients are quite savvy with finding, um, you know, information through Dr. Google. So that's something that um, will hopefully be um, getting a little more robust and, and something to look forward to in 2022. Is there is, is that going to be on the, I'm, I'm assuming then on the patient education website. I know currently that we have it. Uh, we have two websites. We have the one, the ASRM.org, which is for physicians, and then our patient education one, or as I always to call it, the red one and the blue one. <laughs> yes. So this is so. So y'all are looking to post more stuff on the blue one. Yes, that would be the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in case I get any emails from listeners, they're just like, I don't know where this is. I'm like, click on the blue one. <laughs> right. Uh, you will find. Right. You will find everything that you need to know. Uh, uh, Doctor Eskew, thank you so much for taking time out today to 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 be on the show. It's been an absolute delight speaking with you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Please rate and subscribe the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. As always, you can email me questions about the show, ASRM at ASRM.org. I've only been saying that email for 10 years. (laughs) Once again, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Ashley Eskew, uh, for being here talking about nutrition and fertility. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.